Yes. And, and, and really just a heartfelt thank you to all of those parents and volunteers that just sacrificed your time this week to make this VBS possible. Just you can't begin to imagine how much that means to us. So today, a little bit not a, a typical sermon uh, because it's Kids Week. I thought I would just do an interpretive dance for the rest of the time. So there are those three songs, so you might want to get your cameras back out. I don't have many dance moves. Most of them relate to keeping a balloon in the air. This is kind of, that's what I got, so. Hey, a couple things, uh, just one other thing I really want to bring to your attention. I'm a big fan of a church picnic, and we got one of those coming up. August 14th at David and Kara Teeple's house, same place we had it last year. We had a great turnout last year. Love to see you. So pay attention to your bulletin. There are going to be some flyers. There's a place to sign up out in the hallway. Love for you to sign up, and there's a few other things you can go through. All right, today we are going to kind of shift gears here a little bit. For the last couple months, we have been dealing heavy in theology on the Christian life in the book of Romans. Verses, or chapters 1 through 11 are really theology books. Beautiful. Today we're going to shift gear beginning of 12. 12 through 16 kind of begin this the method of teaching practical living as a Christian life. So maybe for you out there, that's good news because maybe you were having some trouble understanding some of the themes in Romans. I know I have moments and difficulties in, in the book of Romans understanding things my, myself. So what I'm going to ask us to do, just a challenge for us this week, next week, for the weeks to come, is that we would approach the word in Scripture with kind of a fresh new way, in a fresh new way, like fresh eyes, that we would lay aside our personal beliefs, our personal agendas, and the things that we're going to talk about today, that we would let Scripture read the way that it reads and speak the way that it speaks, and that we would give ourselves permission to adapt and change our viewpoints and beliefs in these areas that we're going to talk about based solely upon what God's Word says about it. Because honestly, at times, we can adapt and develop beliefs that seem good and and virtuous, but have very little biblical authority. And it might be beneficial for all of us to kind of take an inventory of our beliefs and ask the question like, where did that belief come from? Is it biblical? Does it follow after the heart of God's desire? How did I come to know that? We have all kind of, in some ways, developed some beliefs that probably wouldn't stand up to much scrutiny inside and outside of a biblical context. And, you know, I've been in the mode of confessing to you some silliness in my life. So just so here's some, just a few things. Maybe you believe these truths for a while. These are some things that I believed when I was growing up. Maybe you did too. There was a statement that said that if you shaved your facial hair, it would come back thicker and darker. Like spent many days in middle school just looking in the mirror, just trying to find that peach fuzz and just like, all right, friend, you get seven of your buddies and you bring them back here, Okay. Completely devastated when that didn't happen. Sorry to any middle school boys in here who are kind of hoping for that reality. Doesn't work that way necessarily. Uh, I remember believing when I was uh, a little, maybe a little bit longer than I should have believed this, that that cup of coffee in Boy Scout camp cost me about four inches in height. Like, you tell me I could have been like six foot? No way! There are things that we believe that just aren't true. Maybe you are just finding out right now that those aren't true. So, hey, somebody had to tell you, sorry. And then there are things inside of a biblical context that we kind of believe are true, but they're not. Like, for instance, there is nowhere in Scripture where it says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Like, it's not in there. Like, it's a good thing to be clean. I got some moms in here going, you stop it, okay? Just got my son believing that, and he's cleaning his room, okay? So middle school boy, can't get facial hair. Maybe you, 
won't have to clean your room up so much. So call it a wash today. Look, there are other things that we kind of believe to be true that aren't necessarily true. Okay? And it would be fun to dig into those things, but we don't have time for that today. We're going to stay inside of Romans 12. So what I'm going to do is kind of attach an article onto our Facebook page of, of things as, that we as Christians believe that aren't necessarily biblical. So you can look for that this week. Shelly, there you go. There's some job for you. So today, my imploring you to critically think about what we believe and why is because of this. When I look out into our Big C Church, as a nation, as a movement, I see a perverse gospel that is gaining traction in the Christian tradition. It is a gospel or a doctrine that is pro-self, it is pro-comfort, it's pro-contentment, and it's individualistic in nature. It is not the gospel of Jesus, and I repeat, it is not the gospel of Jesus, which of many things is selfless, sacrificial, far-reaching, and best lived in amongst community. And if we are not careful as believers, we will pass on a gospel that lacks any real power or influence because we have sacrificed Christ's lordship for our own desire. And today, what I want to do is to walk us through answering a question like this. What is success to a Christian on earth? What is success to a Christian on earth? And a little spoiler here, it's not money, and it's not accolades, it's a lifestyle. And this is what the heart of Paul is when he writes this to us in Romans 12. So let's read that together. We're gonna start in verse one and two. We're actually gonna make our way through the entire chapter of Romans 12 today, just chunks at a time. So Romans 12, one through two says this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So because of the mercies of God, because of the grace that God has given us and that has been so compellingly laid out to us by Paul in these first 11 chapters, because of that, we ought to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices to the Father, holy and acceptable. Not just sacrificially giving our praises and our services to the Father, but the entire existence of who we are. Not just our gifts, God wants the giver. And so we are to present ourselves not as a sacrifice that ends in bloodshed like the Old Testament, but as a living sacrifice that is enriched in life by the Holy Spirit. And in that life, we worship the Father. It is an act of worship. Our sacrifices, our praises, our decisions for Him, our victories over sin, our growing in the fruits of the Spirit are all acts of worship to Him. Worship is not confined to deeds, words, and songs, but very much by our lifestyle. And so sacrifice is not about one day, one hour. It's not limited to one building, one house. It's every moment, everywhere we're at, everything that we do. Our worship to God is linked definitively to our disconformity to this world are turning from the world and turning to God. Listen to how Paul says that in the last chunk of verse that we read. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So quick question, are you 
conformed or transformed? Are you conformed or transformed? Like what evidence is in your life that would bear witness to the one you claim in Jesus? Because there is language within these verses that compel us to strive towards a personal holiness in our lives. Like we very much have effort in renewing our minds and not being conformed by the world. But so often, so often the lens in which we understand things, the things that we see this world by, derail that effort. And this is why Paul writes that it's so important that we should test all that we see and hear and do by God's standard. This is what he says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's, here's a question I asked myself this week. What is the fundamental lens that when you look out into this world that you see everything by? What is the filter in which when you see it, you determine what is good, what is bad, what is perfect, what is silly? What is that lens for you? What is your filter? Are you your own filter? Like, do you discern, discern what is good and right? Is your filter your American citizenship? Is it some friend that you have that tells you what's good and right? Is there some celebrity why, that you view as being smarter than most and that's what your filter is? Is it a blogger, a politician, your husband, a pastor? What's your filter? If we are believers in Christ and our filter is not the word of God, we are falling short of a biblical mindset. We have to ask ourselves the question, is the word of God how I view the world? We have so much division within the Christian movement. And listen, outside of an individual in a group who is clearly denying clear scriptural principles and is still unrepentant in confrontation, there is no reason why we should be divided. God's heart is to move us towards unity, and he's going to tell that to us through Paul over the course of the rest of this chapter. So we're gonna jump back into Romans 12 into verse three. Verse three says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Just isn't that a great principle? Maybe we just need to highlight that, man. There are moments that I think way too highly of myself. And just in a, can we just be honest in this room? We do know that life has a way of humbling us, right? Like God clearly says in scripture that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do we really believe that we can somehow out-achieve, out-accolade those moments in our life where we're just silly and foolish? Do you think that we can just supersede those things? We need not to think more highly than we, than we should of ourselves. And honestly, you have permission, if I ever come off like an like arrogant, like you have my permission to go to my wife and she will tell you stories where I was just flat out a fool. Now, whether or not she'll tell you those things, I don't know. We have to, we can't forget that we're flawed. We can't lose the ability to laugh at ourselves, to not take ourselves so serious. Because honestly, we live in an age of social media and Facebook and Twitter have made it possible for somebody to go back and find a picture like this and ask you the question, hey, is that you? <laughs> and I'm gonna say, yes, yes, that is me, okay? 
It's a whole different story. You do some crazy things as a campus life director, okay? His character's name is Michael Thimblebottom, and he is a dangerous criminal. Look out for that guy, okay? So let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We are flawed. Some of us are just more exposed than others. So let's continue here in Romans 12. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, this just simply means that we do not speak outside of the confidence that God has given us in the Holy Spirit to impress people. We speak with inside the confidence that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. In service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, which means to communicate or urge someone to do something in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there is a value system that Paul is establishing here. One body, many members, different functions, all important, all vital, all necessary, all called to do their best with the gifts that they have been given. There isn't a rank here. Paul does not lay out one as being more important than the other. In fact, in his first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 12, Paul expands this idea, and he says this in chapter 12, starting in verse 4. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. He goes on to say in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. We have to be okay that we're not the same. Like, don't try to force other people into your gifting. Don't try to force other people into your gifting. And if you're here saying, like, this gifting stuff's way over me. This seems crazy. Uh, we'll try to put some stuff for you uh, to, to maybe see the things that God has stirred up in you, that maybe he has gifted you with certain things, and maybe you don't know how to use them. We'll try to maybe make those resources available on our website or our Facebook page to you. So we don't want to force other people into our gifting. Let the teacher be a teacher. Let the giver be a giver. Let the server be a server. We do not have to be all things. We just have to be his. And we need to learn to appreciate each other based upon what we have to give to the kingdom and not what we have to give to each other. A better thought would be, like, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Savior? Does his spirit live inside of you? Is there evidence of that in your life? And if so, we can surely find a way to unify and bring great attention to the name of Jesus Christ, even if it's not the way that I would do it. And that just doesn't apply to our actions, but even applies to our doctrine and our theology. Look, there is many spots, most spots within the Bible that the Bible is really clear, and then there are other areas which things are a little muddy. And it is okay 
to have completely rational, biblical interpretations that are different than somebody else. It is okay to have different interpretations in non-essential issues like worship style, teaching style, rapture, even Arminianism or Calvinism. The better question for us to ask is not what one believes, but does it affect one's salvation? Too often, we use non-essential issues as ways to divide our church, justified to bring division, and even in some senses, we try to stir up anger within each other. And all that has done is to elevate your pride over your love for one another. We need not to do that. And maybe that seems simplistic and utopian, but I would rather err on the side of humility and unity than on the side of division and pride. Remember, it is not the Lord that wants to see his people divided. It is the enemy that wants us to fall into bickering and division. And here's some just plain reality. Make no mistake, the Bible is very clear on the fact that there is a day coming that we will need each other more than we think we do right now. There is a day coming where our hand will be forced in which being a Christian will cost you more than you ever could expect it is right now. And whether or not you believe contemporary music is the best or hymns will mean very little. Paul writes in Philippians 2, in verse 2, to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We are called to be united, not divided. Paul seems to be driving us in this text towards an attitude, towards a lifestyle, and he lays out that lifestyle in the next few verses. These verses, before we read them, these verses, we should allow to press up against us to penetrate our hearts, to convict us of where we're falling short, and to move us towards the renewal of our minds in the Spirit of God. I don't know any other grouping of verses that have had more significant of an impact in my life than these next verses. So let's read them together, let's read them slow, let's listen and hear, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. Starting in verse nine, in Romans 12, it says to let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance in, is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
for you, so by, for, so by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's run through these statements and flesh them out a little bit. Some are very self-explanatory. Some might need a little bit more insight to fully understand them. Paul writes to let your love be genuine. Like this isn't some superficial, sappy love that's grounded in the emotional world that we think it is. It is a deep, profound, real love for one another. And Paul beautifully writes about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That is not a superficial kind of love. That is a deep, profound love for each other. Paul says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And this can be a paradoxical statement because what you have is let your love be genuine and then you have the word abhor. And abhor means hate. It even could be translated as hate exceedingly. So what do we do with that? This is a characteristic that all of us who are believers need to have that we would hate evil and hold fast, which can be interpreted as cling, an intimate union like a marriage relationship, that we would cling to the goodness of God, that we would turn from the evil in our own lives, and that we would cling to the promises and the goodness of the Father. It is an attitude of Father, I don't want that. I don't want that, Father. I hate that kind of person that makes me, it's not good for me, I need you, Lord. I need you, I need your promises, I need your truth, I need your goodness in my life. It is a turning away from evil and a gripping as strong as we can to what is good in life. It says to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Pretty self-explanatory. That the Christian is to view the church as its extended family with heartfelt and consistent concern. That we should be intentional about praising and encouraging one another in our accolades and in our service. That we should place others in front of ourselves. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be lazy. Like let the Holy Spirit set you on fire and maintain a strong commitment that is both real and emotional to the Lord. And to let your zeal, your fire, be in cause of serving the Lord only, nothing else. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And these things, hope, endurance, patience in tribulation, and prayer are natural partners, natural partners. Because we have the greatest hope in the world, in Jesus Christ, and that hope will be met with trials, you better believe it. And we need to endure, and we endure by constantly being in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When Paul says contribute to the needs of the saints, he's saying this, like look, all of us who have the spirit of God in our lives are considered saints. God sees Jesus Christ's son, he doesn't see our flawed selves. And we are to contribute to the saints, those who are in need in our flock. Food, shelter, money, whatever it is. 
And then it says to seek and show hospitality. That means to strangers, to whoever comes along. There is an interesting legend, and I can't prove that this legend is true, but there is some validity to it. In the 18th and 19th century, they began to make doors like these. And this is just a normal six-panel door. You've seen them in home improvement stores all the time. But these doors were kind of different back in the day. These doors were known as Christian doors because they had the cross at the top and the Bible at the bottom. So the cross and a Bible door. And these doors marked for travelers and people who were in need safe houses. They knew that they would be treated well at that house because there were Christians inside that would take care of them. Whether or not there's truth to that, it really challenges my hospitality. Paul says this, and this is kind of the last one we're going to talk about today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And to the world, this will be the most striking characteristic of a true Christian. That for those of us who mock us, who hurt us, who kill us, that we could still love them. And Jesus so impactfully exemplifies this for us on the cross. As he is dying, after being tortured and beaten, he turns his eyes to heaven. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To those who persecute us as believers, to those who mock us and hurt us, we are to pray that God would bestow favor on them, not to repay it with evil. And we don't do that out of pity or spite, but it should be done with genuine love in our hearts. Isn't that amazing? That it is so radical. It is so different than what our world teaches. Paul is going to reinforce these ideas in the remaining verses in chapter 12 that we've already read, but I want to read them again to reinforce this idea. He said to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Revenge and vengeance is not a Christian idea. It is not the character of Christ. It's not up to us. God will handle it for us. We are not in the business of repaying somebody wrong for wrong as they do it for us, to us. We are actually to go out of our way to care for them. Corey Ten Boom, just an amazing person, she wrote in a book called Reflections of God's Glory about a time that she was in Africa. And in Africa, a man came up at one of her meetings and he had bandages all over his hands. And she asked what had happened. And he said that he had burned his hands severely trying to put out his neighbor's roof. And she thought that was incredible and thought that was the end of the story, but it wasn't the end of the story. Later, she, she heard the rest of the story. 
This is what the rest of the story was. This man who had come with these burned hands, in fact, had a neighbor who absolutely hated him and his wife and his children. And one night, that neighbor went over to his house and set his house on fire with his wife and his children and himself inside sleeping. And the man woke up in enough time to save his house. But during the course of those events, sparks flew from his house onto that very same neighbor's house. And it began to burn his house. And there was no hate in this Christian's heart. He dutifully left his house and began to put out the fire in his neighbor's house. The same neighbor that hated him that did it. And that is how he burned his hands. That's different. That's different than what we see. And these aren't traits of people who are just special or terrific people. These are traits that God has given all of us through his spirit. And he wants to build those in our lives, all of us who believe in him, through the renewal of our minds, through the hating of what is evil in our own lives and the clinging of what is good. It doesn't take an extra strong individual or an extra sensitive individual it just takes somebody who loves God and is committed to the process of sanctification. So if you were to take these verses, these verses in Romans 12, and you would overlay them on top of your life, how would it look? If you were to look at these things that are on the screen and to look at your life, does your life look like that or is it different? How about this? Why don't we just take a few moments of awkward silence? And why don't you just look at these? And could you identify maybe one or two, maybe three, maybe all, that you really would like to see increase in your life? I've given you spots in your bulletin to write this down. You can highlight these verses in your, in your Bible or in the bulletin. Let's just take a few moments to look at those things. I've done this already, so I'm going to do this again with you. For, for me, the things that I really would love to see God increase in me is that my love would be genuine and that I wouldn't be slothful in zeal. So would you join me this week in, in putting your bulletin or, or your, your Bible or your text somewhere that you're gonna see it and that you would, you would pray every time you see that, that God would increase those in you, that he would show you how to do this. And when he does show us, that he would help us to renew our minds that we would begin to think differently and act differently, that we would abhor what is evil in our own lives and cling to the goodness of the Father. The bottom line is, and I, I cannot get around this, we are just we're called to be different. We are just definitively called to be different than the culture that we live in. It is a different mindset, it's a different flavor that when the world would see it, that they might see the very heart of God. There's a true story, and it goes this way, that in 1818, there was a guy named Tamato, and he was the king of a South Sea island named Hunahini, okay, funny name. And he became a Christian. 
out of the grace of God, he became a Christian, and shortly after, he discovered a plot of men on that island who were going to come and capture him and the other converts. They were going to bind them and burn them. And Tamato learns about this, and he sends a squad to attack these conspirators, to bind them, and to bring them to him. And we would just applaud that if that was the end of the story. Defeated it. Good for him. But that's not the end of the story. Tamato took these conspirators, sat them down at a huge table, and put before them a feast like they've never seen before in their lives. And these men were so moved by the king's unexpected kindness that they burned their idols and confessed Christ as their savior. Like that's different. That's different than what we believe to be true at times. And listen, that is the kind of difference that this world needs right now from all of us. They need to see Christ in a way that's not of the world, but of him. So might we consider if we have been changed to love in extreme circumstances, to suffer willingly, to show honor, to give generously, to engage missionally, and to walk in humility. So this past week, just I've been praying that God would use this week to allow us to see with our own eyes, and myself included, the shortcomings in our lives. That we would read these verse, and it wouldn't be at a loss, that we wouldn't tack this up to somebody's poor interpretations of scriptures or this being weak or unrealistic, that we would see within our own hearts the hurtful production of misinformation, debilitating habits, and sinful actions. That God would wake us up to a gospel that isn't self-centered, exclusive or hateful, that the Spirit would come alive in our hearts and help us all to reconsider the condition of our own heart. Does your heart in any way exemplify what Paul speaks about in Romans 12? If it doesn't, Scripture is really clear that we need to repent and turn from that. We need to make it right. I need to do that. We as Christians need to do that. And pray that God would show us the way, knowing this, that our Savior is not mad at us, that he has given us all the grace that we would ever need to move from this life of death, right? Into the glorious life, the riches of life that he has promised, the flourishing of the human race, all for the glory of his name. Let us make Romans 12 the standard of our living, the template of our lives. And by doing so, we will bring great attention to the name of Christ. So let's pray. We'll move on. Father, today I'm praying for renewed eyes and renewed visions in our hearts, in our lives, that God, we would honestly do a check of our lives and our hearts and think about, Lord, am I doing this right? Am I believing the right things? Am I living the right ways? And God, that you would move in our hearts, nudge us in the right direction, Convict us on where we need to be convicted. Bring people into our life that love us enough to help us to walk where we need to walk. God, move in our lives today. We are praying for Christians who live differently than the world around them. We love you, Father, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not. Amen.